Today on CNET Book Club, Brad Thor. He writes a high-tech spy thriller just about every year. His latest is Backlash, and he joins us today to talk about surveillance states, online privacy, and why he'll never have an Amazon Echo. All right, we're here talking to Brad Thor. His new book is Backlash. You do one of these roughly a year, which I think is amazing. Uh, and they all have a lot to do with the dangers we face in the world. I think one of the most fascinating things about you, among many, is this concept of this red cell group that you have uh, said you consult for or work with that predicts future problems, dangers. You have to tell me a little bit about that. Okay, so I'm a thriller author, so my novels are all fiction. In fact, I call it faction, where you don't know where the facts end and the fiction begins. And the analytic red cell unit was something that was put together at the Department of Homeland Security uh, shortly after it was stood up in the wake of 9-11 because the government realized the 9-11 attacks happened because of a failure of imagination on their part. So they said, we're not good in the imagination space, in the creative space. Let's bring in creative thinkers from outside D.C., and have them help us stay four, five, six steps ahead of the bad guys. So they brought in people like me as a thriller author, Michael Bay, the director, and we sat there and brainstormed stuff for them on here's potential targets, here's, here's ways that our, our tech could be turned against us and used against us, all that kind of stuff. I mean, that is the number one thing I think people worry about now is technology being turned against us. How far in the future did you generally think about that sort of thing? Did you think about artificial intelligence, virtual reality, augmented reality? Some of it near term, some of it kind of over the horizon mm -hmm. threats. Uh, so I was here in New York, I uh, was living in Chicago at the time, but I was in New York for the blackout in mm -hmm. the early 2000s. Yeah. My wife and daughter had just gotten on a plane and gone home. Yeah. And it was amazing, the New Yorkers were fantastic because there was still enough camaraderie post 9-11 um, but it was it was pretty spooky, and it was it was amazing how many people just gave up. Like I walked into the lobby of my hotel, and people were sitting around saying, "Well, you can't go upstairs." I'm like, "Why?" I can walk up a set of stairs. They, well, you wouldn't be able to get in your room. I said, "The room's not connected. That's a battery. I can swipe my card, and there it's going to open the door." And people didn't even think of it. So we've become so dependent on particularly the the electric grid and particularly the internet. Uh, it's almost nothing is done with a pen and paper anymore for keeping records. And you look at how many times a grocery store is resupplied during the day. You're grabbing that last loaf of Wonder Bread just as the truck with the, all the supply side logistics is backing up and dumping more Wonder Bread into the store. So I think we're really vulnerable there. This is an area, in fact, one of the rumors was is that it was Chinese crackers leaving Trojan horses behind in the electrical grids uh, in the software systems that had triggered that big blackout. That's one of the, one of the things they say out there. So... That's something that's very serious, and of course, I hate robots. I hate them with oh. passion. Pardon my French. Uh, my favorite GIF on the internet is when that guy is kicking that dog robot, like at uh, Boston Dynamics <laughs> yeah, or yeah. whatever it is, and I'm like, this is how it starts, okay? Oh, yeah. That memory is gonna get downloaded into every robot, and they're gonna come back and kick all our asses. And so I always post that saying, we will look back and say, why didn't we kill all the robots when we had the chance? Be like Terminator. Or at least not kick them. Be nice yeah, to them. Yeah, it'd be nice to them. Be That's true. Go. Those things are frightening, yeah. especially the, oh, the way the they dogs. scramble up the hill. Yes. I mean, that, yes. that is it. And of course, we're, we're concerned not just about the physical robots, but the, but the sort of non-corporeal robots, the, the, augment, the artificial reality systems, artificial intelligence systems AI, yeah. that mm -hmm. control you know, what we see online and what we do and how we relate to each other. 
Um, how much of, uh, did you feel that participating in that fueled your creativity for books the other way around? Did they, did they influence each other? So it's a great question. So I call the analytic red cell program the Las Vegas of government programs. Uh, what stays in the red cell program, or what happens in the red cell program stays in it. I'm not allowed to mm -hmm. take anything out and put it in my thrillers, but it's the same mental process that I use for creating my novels that I use for the Department of Homeland Security. So that was... That was pretty cool, but again, I'm not allowed mm -hmm. to take anything out of it and put it into the into the open uh, world. I will say right before we started, we did tell a good Vegas story. Yeah, <laughs> but, but I told the story. I'm a different Vegas story. Yeah, a different kind of story. Pretty different Vegas story. Yeah, I think it's interesting to think about like uh, you know we go into the idea of like. Um, the, the, the thought of where we're going to be in the future. Speaking of uh, you know, AI and systems, uh, I think the idea of, of, of city grids becoming, we talked to a lot of other writers about this, that, that they're becoming more kind of like surveillance states or these company-controlled smart grids. Right. Uh, Tim Bond to talk about uh, in his book, Infinite Detail, uh, some of the dangers of that. Well, what are your thoughts about how much that's being controlled by companies now? Well, I'll tell you what's very interesting is to know how terrifying the future is going to be. You only need to look at the recent past. So if you go back to the 70s and uh, Frank Church, who did the whole, uh, Senator Frank Church, who looked at what the intelligence agencies were doing back then. Mm -hmm. And he was really concerned because he said uh, that if the NSA's giant listening ears are ever turned in on the United States, that will be a Rubicon that we will have crossed and there'll be no crossing back over it. So mm -hmm. post 9-11, what happens? We found out from Snowden that the NSA was hoovering up all the metadata. They outgrew their ability to store stuff mm -hmm. at Fort Meade. So they, I think it's Bluffdale, Utah, where they set up the new uh, server farm. I mean, it's, it's immense. And you know, I always wonder that if they're looking for keywords, if they've got AI or whatever searching for keywords in conversations, well, if they hit on that, they'll be able to roll back the conversation, right? Is that conversation being is it being mm -hmm. recorded? Is it just metadata? That stuff's fascinating. But as I dug into, I did a thriller called Blacklist that was all about total information awareness. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting because there was a software system set up for the federal court system called Promise. And what Promise did is it would allow you to access a case different ways. It's like a suitcase with a bunch of handles. You could go by the prosecutor's name, the defendant's name, the type of crime, the judge, whatever. Anyway, this thing started to spread and it caught the interest of the intelligence world where they said, okay, how can we track down bad guys and monitor bad guys based on databases and databases we can get access to, however mm -hmm. that access happens. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I did in Blacklist when I was talking about total information awareness was this idea that they could monitor, if, you, if they thought you were involved in a cell and there's five of you, they could monitor the water usage at your house. Every single person they're suspecting. And so all of a sudden the water usage at your house has gone down and they're like, okay, you're not there. So start looking at your credit cards. Okay, you're buying gas at these gas stations. You're moving in this direction across the country. Suddenly, this other guy in California who we believe you're associated with, his water usage goes up because mm -hmm. it's more toilet flushing, it's more showers. Right. So all of these things that we consider benign can be weaponized when it comes to data. And it's, it's fascinating, it's terrifying. And the big kind of cherry on top of that terrifying Sunday for me was the Brookings Institute did a study of governments around the world. They didn't include the United States, but what they found was is that the, as the cost of data storage goes down, surveillance of citizens goes up by governments because it's cheap, it's easy to store. And then what do you have? You have a prosecutorial time machine where you can go back and make a case against somebody who maybe is a dissident, uh, enemy of the state, uh, that may be deemed an enemy of the state, who's just somebody who disagrees with the, the ruling elite in that state. So, 
Data is dangerous. Inherently, it's not. It's like a gun. I can put mm -hmm. a gun on the table. The gun's not going to shoot any of us. It's what you do with that. So it's what you do with the data, who's using it, and what for. But for a thriller writer, it is a target-rich environment. There's no end to stuff you can do with data and make it sexy and fun and exciting. Yeah, we're in the era of endless data. I remember they were going around, I think, uh, checking electrical usage and doing infrared to see who was growing marijuana in their That was their a big thing, and yeah. the UK was doing it too for yeah. people whose homes were being inefficient with the use of heating and cooling so that they could find people. Mm -hmm. So yeah. this is, the, so the government can not only imprison you potentially with the use of data, but they can find ways to pull extra money out of you as a citizen. God forbid they find you in London not paying for your TV set. Oh yeah, the BBC yeah, licenses, yeah, yeah. oh boy, they're, 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 they're string you up at the Old Bailey, you're in big trouble. I think it's very interesting. It makes me think of it in a related way. Uh, talking to like credit card companies, other people talking about biometrics. It, it always interests me when they talk about biometrics and the, the amount of information that can be used to identify you. And it's not the stuff that you think. It's not the thumbprint. It's not the uh, you know iris scan. It's the collected you know, per, like a holograph might be called of like all these things that present all Even the information put together. So your there's, gate, I've your done typing data. patterns. I've had, a, in yeah. the typing patterns go back, we even would, we would have, uh, we would have surveillance of Russian consulates and embassies. Yeah. And back when they used to have the aluminum blinds, they could study the vibrations, our guys could, the study of the, study the vibrations of the blinds to figure out what was being said inside. But the gate technology, I did a couple of books ago for mm. identifying a bad guy in one of the books who was in disguise, but you can't disguise your mm -hmm. gate. Your gate, unless you put like a stone in your shoe or something, which the guys right. will do to mess up oh, how it is. But who, who knew that this stuff, that you were, you were so unique, it's a fingerprint, it's the iris, it's the way you walk. I yeah. mean. It's, it's incredible. It's cool, but it's terrifying. Do, do you ever explore, I, I've been looking at a lot of emerging tech and I met with companies designing AR headsets and one thing that's interesting me a lot, talking about Microsoft and HoloLens, eye tracking technology, the degree to which that's a doorway to, uh, to essentially mind reading and to sort of looking at the state of, uh, discussions about looking at not just the state of your, your, your brain and your processes, but being kind of a pre-crime predictor I was curious if you, uh, you know, be thinking about those. Uh, the whole minority report kind of yeah, thing, absolutely. right? Absolutely, which you never think about until now. Until it happens. Yeah. So I'm a big conservatarian. I want, I, I don't want the government spending too much money, and then I want them governing the least amount possible because I think that's the best. So I worry when it comes to data. We're back to private companies and all that kind of stuff. When your gait can be measured, when your eye stuff can be an insight into who you are, mm -hmm. you cease to be an individual. If you start, you cease being an individual when you curtail your thoughts or you do things differently online because you're worried you're being watched. Mm. That now starts to erode what this country was set up to be, which is a haven for the individual. I mean, that's why the founding documents exist and were written the way they were to protect the largest minority group in the world, the individual. You, we are all, we live in a republic, mm. everyone is equal before the law. But if you start changing how you act because of the invasiveness of the tech, you cease to be an individual. You're now responding to outside forces via versus what you desire and what you want. And it's it's spooky, but it's the way it's going. And government always lags behind technology. So regulation and all that kind of stuff is always a couple years behind whatever the tech is. It's never government figures it out before the private sector does. It's always the tech rush. You see all the talk now about should mm -hmm. Facebook be broken up? Should it be more heavily regulated? Is it a monopoly like the railroads or the steel industry? Government is always asking questions. They're never uh, proactive uh, suggesting solutions before the problem arises. The cart has gotten so far in front of the horse that some of these companies are actually asking for regulation now, uh, including Facebook, with the, with the hope of being able to influence it. But they realize that that's 
better for them in the long run than just waiting to see what, what comes up about it or continuing to operate in this wild west. Uh, I feel like people already change their, change their behavior now on Facebook. If you see an ad for something weird, you go, why did that happen? What right. did I do that made Facebook think I was gonna buy a boat or that I was pregnant or, or anything the, else? Or the worst thing is, is women who have been participating in postpartum depression or uh, groups or, they, or, or they're, they're there because they lost a baby and now all the, mm -hmm. all the algorithm see, sees is yeah. baby. And so you're right. getting pushed all this stuff for these poor women that have lost babies. So it's not, it's by far, yeah. it is not perfect. Yeah, that's the big secret is a lot of this, at least commercial advertising tracking, is insanely inaccurate, even though they have a lot of data. If you go and look up your profile on any of these uh, marketing companies where you can actually look up what they, they have on you, it's usually dead wrong. Now, it's a lot of stuff and they're still gathering it and using it, but the conclusions they draw to are so, are so inaccurate, uh, it's, it's almost more dangerous that way. Skynet sucked in the beginning too, I'm yeah, sure. Right? <laughs> I'm sure the Terminator wasn't just the first thing to pop out of Skynet. It had to get there. They had some bumps they had to get through and then all hell broke loose. Do you find now, like this is a question we've been asking a lot of writers, we've this coming up over and over again about the present moment being uh, so rapid fire, so crazy that it's being overtake or has overtaken uh, their imaginations of where the future might be going. Do, are you finding that? Are you finding like, you know, in terms of technology, in terms of the acceleration of things, uh, is it changing the way you're thinking about what you've been thinking about before, or is it kind of mapping in? It's a great question. I'm yeah. such a voracious consumer of news, yeah. whether it's mm -hmm. tech, whether it's stuff happening domestically, geopolitically, that I don't feel anything's passing me by. There may be some individual things with like a new piece of technology that, I mean, it's stunning to watch, and this sounds like the ultimate dad thing to say, but it's stunning to watch how quickly my children can adapt to new technology, oh, yeah. Yeah. and how fast there's, I mean, they cycle through different apps because they realize it's not as secure, your parents can still see it, and they're finding you know ways around the limits we put on their iPhones and things like that. So um, for my individual use of tech, some of that stuff is like amazing. I, I, I use 10% of what my iPhone can do, I'm sure with all the things that are available. I'm not a big app guy because I don't like the data collection. Mm -hmm. Again, it's back to my libertarian side. I, mm -hmm. if, if the product is free, you're the product, oh, yeah, right? right? That's what they always say. Right. Um, for yeah, my exactly. writing, I try to stay ahead of that stuff uh, and to be current and put it in the books. The most interesting thing for me has been the redesign of Twitter because I, as a political junkie, was an addict on Twitter. And I was, I was getting those dopamine hits of seeing yep. my tweets retweeted and everything. I got forced into the new version of Twitter and I click the opt out button mm -hmm. and I got out, out for like, I don't know, half a day and I'm forced into the new one. And I don't know if they did it on purpose or what, but it's been the biggest buzzkill. I don't get that dopamine like thing. Top tweets versus the timeline. Yeah, yeah. and I can't search who's. It's mm -hmm. now this scroll individually where it used to be like three or four across of people, and you could look verified accounts versus mm -hmm. non-verified mm -hmm. accounts. So Twitter actually unwittingly has answered my prayers, which is I want to be unshackled <laughs> from this cruel mistress, yeah. and she's gone on someplace else, and yeah. I, I barely use it anymore. And it's been a it's been a relief, and I never thought technology would change in such a way that I'd be like, thank you, I don't want to use it as much anymore. You've actually helped me break that addiction cycle. It's amazing, it's the simplest product, and yet all they managed to do is somehow make it worse and worse with every Isn't iteration. All we wanted all was an edit button. Was, yeah. edit button. That's all you any of us ever that. asked for was an Not edit allowed. button. Yeah. Yeah. All they had to do was leave it alone, you know, just, just keep the servers running and yeah. that's it. Nobody wanted any new features. I don't know what it, I don't think anybody wanted to buy the company either. I think yes. that's a problem too, is how much money they make with the promoted mm -hmm. tweets. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. who knows what the grand scheme is. I'm just glad to be well dialed back from, from doing it's it. Better here's than here's yeah. a future fear that we've been talking a lot about here. 
Uh, it's made the news a bunch recently. The concept of, they call it deep fakes, which are, which are oh, fake videos yeah. of people that look real enough to fool you. Um, do you think, number one, we're at the point where it's really viable now to actually create you know, a video that will fool the average person, yeah. or is this, is this the ultimate atom bomb that's gonna you know, destroy our trust in any kind of uh, media? Well, I, here's my concern. The world is full of stupid people, and it doesn't take a lot of brain cells to turn your computer on and access the internet. So we've got a lot of stupid people with access to the internet. A lot of smart people too, but so now, there was just a recent deep fake that somebody did. They combined two actors, uh, and mm -hmm. I forget who it was. It was like Schwarzenegger oh, yes, and Matthew yes. McConaughey or something it was, like uh, the that. The guy from Saturday Night Live who does the uh, Schwarzenegger impression, and it, he turned into his, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it was really, it was very, was very great. freaky. And I remember, I've seen several of them so far. And I know Marco Rubio has been warning about deep fakes mm -hmm. and all this kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it, it is a problem because there are people, the more the technology has advanced, I, I tell people, we live in look at air conditioning, look what we're doing with all the tech in here. We live in the best, we live at the best moment in history ever. This is the best time, best country ever. We have, we have luxuries and we have, how calloused are your hands? Mine aren't that callous. I'm not out digging ditches or you know throwing spears at the enemies of Rome. I mean, we have it really, really good. People are lazy. And tech does not encourage people to be more rugged, to be more individualistic. It uh, doesn't teach them to be more responsible. People, I think, are lazier and lazier and lazier, and they're putting themselves into silos where they are in these echo chambers where they're mm -hmm. getting the information, the feedback they want that reinforces their own biases because they're, they don't want to have to think. They don't want to have their ideas challenged. So I think deep fakes are a huge threat because there's going to be a bunch of people out there that want to believe it. And uh, what's, there's this expression that I love when sometimes media rushes to put things out, too good to check. Mm -hmm. Too good to check, and it just sounds like it fits the narrative, so we're gonna push it out there because it sounds like what this person would do or this person. And I'm, I'm concerned that deep fakes are gonna really take a lot of people. And, and by the way, that's the other thing now. You're gonna have deep fake sex tapes, but you're gonna have the real thing out there and people are gonna die. Mm -hmm. Wasn't me, mm -hmm. it's a deep fake. Yeah, wasn't no, me. That, that wasn't so real. So it's gonna work both ways and both are gonna be equally corrosive. It's like the X-Files, I wanna believe. Yeah. Or like endless similar but slightly different variants, which is what I think would be really strange with deepfakes. Like the eroding of like, not just, oh, there's that one. 90% real, 10% um, fake. Yeah, a bizarre spectrum where you Change find- Change one really, word. There'll yeah. be some funny ones. There's Play gonna be memory. some brilliant comedy yeah. that comes that comes out of it too. Oh, yeah. But it's gonna, I think overall net-net, it's, it's gonna be a loss for us. And so, so what does that mean? What steps in then that helps pull us back from that? I don't know what that is. How do we become more responsible consumers of information? How do we check stuff? Because right now, nobody wants to check stuff. You've got this Facebook group. I mean, mm -hmm. there was just some study out in the last three or four months that like, the majority of people in this country are getting their news, or, or the, the number was startling. How many people are getting the news from Facebook? Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. There's a lot about Facebook I like, a lot. But I don't want my parents getting their news from Facebook, at least solely. You know, it's because that algorithm pushes things to the top that, that, that are, they want to see, are and they're not yeah, clickbait yeah. exactly. And if they and see a certain true. number of, of of likes or mm -hmm. whatever. They use that as some sort of a validation, Bingo. which then becomes yeah, then Bingo. that becomes it's, it's your, a self fulfilling. It's kind of this cycle that your, keeps going. It becomes a sort of weird fact check. I feel people socially, so that's that's a, a bizarre thing. Which again, deep fakes or uh, the question is, well, will we get smarter about vetting that stuff out? Will there be a smarter way of vetting it out socially or vetting it out? by the producers of video content. And at some point, yeah. it is going to be a, an intelligence agency issue that they're gonna be seeing these things, mm -hmm. like take a hostage video. 
Right. How do we know they really have this hostage? How do we know the hostage is still alive, even though we're seeing a hostage speaking, holding up today's mm -hmm. New York Times? Mm -hmm. So we're going to need a way, technology-wise, to be able to filter, to study the pixels. Something's going to have to happen on the other side to be able to say, that's not real. Or we've got a big problem from a, from a liberty perspective, from an intelligence gathering uh, perspective. The one silver lining to that is in the near future, uh, hostage tickets won't be able to find an actual print newspaper to use. So, so that's going to be that's going to be the end of that. Um, I, I love this concept of 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 your nonstop writing adventure, where every year there's another book. I, I'd love to hear a little bit about your process for that, and kind of you know how you work that into you know, being alive and, and living and doing things. And do you treat it like a nine to five job? I yeah. do, it's, it's eight to six mm -hmm. for me and that's just my Midwestern work ethic. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, so I have a family, I get up, work out in the morning, feed my kids, get them to school, all that kind of stuff. And then it's eight to six in the office. Uh, it, and I call what I do faction where you don't know mm -hmm. where the facts begin and the fiction ends. Um, but it's important that not only do I give you that white knuckle thrill ride, but I like to pick something every year that I do for research. So for backlash, something that I'm excited about that I think a lot of people aren't aware of, mm -hmm. and uh, then I weave it into the story so that it's still exciting. I've got these short, crisp cinematic chapters. and In fact, I have a lot of people tell me, oh, I gave your book to my dad or to my daughter who used to read but they haven't read in a long time, and you reignited that love of reading because the chapters are so fast, it's a fun book. Uh, but with backlash, I was fascinated by two things that I, I put in there. One is a program started under President Obama that President Trump kept, which is after James Foley, the journalist, was beheaded mm -hmm. by ISIS, they all looked around in DC and said, we really didn't have a central clearinghouse where all the agencies could work together and we could be looking at different streams of intelligence and data. Now that exists. And President Obama's administration set it up. There's a war room at the FBI where there's NSA has a desk, the Defense Intelligence Agency has a desk, FBI, CIA, Treasury Department. It's really weird because they look at, okay, can we put pressure on this government or this group via their bank accounts? Uh, do we need to get the Navy SEALs involved? So that was a really neat thing because in this book, my main character, America's Best Spy, gets grabbed by the Russians. And this mechanism, this machinery in DC gets put into overdrive, trying to get them back within 48 hours before they can crack them. The other thing that I loved about researching this book is something that the soldiers, uh, the airmen, the Marines, they all go through SEER training, which is an acronym for Survive, Evade, Resist, mm -hmm. Escape. And so I wanted to know what goes through an American's mind who's had this training when they find themselves in a situation where they're taken hostage and they get taught you may only get one break. You have to have your eyes open, and when you get that break, you take it. And so this book begins on page one, big action scene has happened, this guy gets his one break. And it's about how he leverages that one break to the end of the book, and the action starts on page one, doesn't let up until the very end. After trying to get the auxiliary power unit back online, the pilot instructed the crew to prepare for the worst. They were going down, hard. All this risk, he thought, all this danger, just to deliver one man, a man chained in back like an animal. A Russian special forces team had boarded him with a hood over his head. No one had seen his face. The entire crew had assumed he was a criminal of some sort, maybe even a terrorist. They had been informed that he was dangerous. Under no circumstances were any of them to speak with or get anywhere near the prisoner. But that was before they knew the plane was going to crash. So you always keep like a sort of a nested process. There's always like, you know, obviously if you're doing a book a year, you're going to be doing, you got one that you're writing, you're one that you're researching, you almost have to keep them juggled. 
Jack London said you can't wait yeah. for inspiration. You have to go after it with a club. Yeah. And that's yeah. true. So you have to, if you do a book a year, and you want to keep the quality up. So yeah. I don't have another writer working. It's me. Yeah. And the readers, when they leave their reviews online, that's my annual performance review. Yeah. I work for the readers, and I want a five-star review every time. So yes, there's no formula to my books. Each yeah. one is different. And I tell people that even though I have a recurring character, it's like the James Bond movies. You don't need to have seen all the other mm -hmm. ones to go see the new one they're filming right now, 25. You can jump in at any point and enjoy a Bond movie, and that's the way I do my thrillers. So what's the key? I mean, obviously, this, is, this, this goes to writing advice for somebody who's looking to keep themselves productive, could be us, could be anybody. But like, you know, what, yeah, what's the key to keep that ball rolling? <laughs> you want to know it? Yeah. It's, yeah. I have to tear the tech out of my office. Hmm. It, I am such a mm -hmm. news junkie and a politics mm -hmm. junkie yeah. that it gets to the point where I'm actually avoiding the writing because I'm convincing myself. That, this is the best line. I never understood what the Chinese meant by their curse, may you live in interesting times. <laughs> we live in interesting oh, yeah. times. Yeah, there is yeah. something in the news every single day. And if I don't unplug the TV, mm -hmm. and if I don't take the router out of my office, I'm online, I can't break it. I cannot break it. And I physically have to disassemble the tech and get back to, the only tech I have is my laptop, mm -hmm. but I, I, I make it's it offline. so I can't, it's offline. Is it like oh, forced uh, offline? Yeah. Do you, do you, like, do you actually way, like keep it like, yeah, like, it's, yep. it's, I yeah. disabled the Wi-Fi in my wow. office. It's the yeah. only way to get it to work. It's just, it's old-fashioned self-discipline, seat of pants, seat of chair, yeah. or it doesn't happen. Because yeah. I convince myself this is an important oh, yeah. story, or I've got a brilliant tweet. Oh, maybe it's gonna go viral. It's got 10 <laughs> retweets, it's got 20. It's Let's go check again. It's, it's also like a, there's also like a writing while connected to the internet thing. And, and obviously we're always writing stories and we're always researching stuff all the time, this endless process. But the idea of staying disconnected when writing uh, I feel like our brains also deteriorate from the amount that we rely on what we're thinking of versus saying, oh, I'll Google it up or I'll do that. Well, you've got the, what, the digital amnesia, right? Where people are mm -hmm. not storing. Uh, yeah. it, so there's so much data out there. It's like drinking from a fire hose. Yeah. My wife has an awesome theory about memory. She says that your mind is like an iceberg and memories are like penguins. And at any given time, there's only room for so many mm -hmm. penguins on the iceberg. Now to make a new memory, sometimes one penguin's gotta bump another one off. And yeah. sometimes that one swims around the iceberg and you can get it back on when you need it. Sometimes it's gone. But I watch people doing this all day long mm -hmm. and walking in the street without looking. And mm. my big thing with my kids is how are we teaching them to be responsible consumers of tech? Mm -hmm. And we balance that with reading because I'm still a voracious reader, reading paper on ink, uh, ink on paper, because they did a big study that said if you're using an e-reading device, you don't retain as much information as you do with a paper book. And I love e-reading devices. I have, yeah. I've got a Kindle, I've got a Nook, I love them. It's great to be able to take my books on an airplane and everything. But we make our kids read, not even make, they love to read. So we've encouraged more reading and responsible use of tech. We limit the amount. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what's worked for us. And then I've got to practice what I preach because I overconsume tech. Just yeah. like, you know, I think a lot of people, when you're an adult, you can overeat, you can overconsume, you know, you'd have a third martini when you should have stopped at two. You know, mm -hmm. it's possible. So it, it takes a lot of responsibility. And we're back to people being lazy. It's really a lot of people don't police themselves. Uh, and so tech's done a lot of wonderful things. There, I am not a lot of, I love tech. I love it, love it, love it. But it takes a lot of self-discipline and a lot of strength of character to use tech responsibly. Yeah, and I've been alternating, I think, between reading physical books and books digitally. Good for your brain. It is good. I feel like the more you spend time reading disconnected, mm -hmm. it also gets you back to training yourself a bit when you're reading while you're connected to kind of stay 
on task a little bit. And there's no feeling like holding a book yeah, in right. your hands and you're kicked back, <laughs> you know? I mean, it's just, yeah. there's nothing like it, nothing. I feel I must be the world's greatest parent now because my son who's seven loves reading real books won't read an ebook at all. Oh, that's great. Uh, and then also yells at me when, when uh, I have too much screen time, because he has oh, yeah. his limits. You're still on your screen, put that down. With the kids, it it's down. easy. Like, we got all the books, we've got a whole library downstairs, but it's true, it goes back to what we do, or what I do, which is that I'm, I'm, I'm the terrible tech addict. And the kids have it under control. So the, if yeah. we, the book Freakonomics, which was a yeah. fantastic mm -hmm. book, one, so we all grew up hearing this. It's a wonderful parental story, but it's a myth that if you want your children to be great readers, you read to them. That's not the biggest determinant. The biggest determination of whether your children will be great readers, two things, do you have books in your house and do they see you reading? Right. That has more of an impact than you reading to your kids. It's important to read to your kids, but it is even more important for them to see you read because they will model that behavior. Yeah. Well, if your kids are old enough to handle the action <laughs> and suspense and danger, <laughs> then you should leave this lying around for them to pick up uh, Brad Thor's new Backlash out, in fact, right now. Yep. Thank you very much, Brad Thor. Thanks for having yeah, thanks. me. I gotta tear the tech out of my writing room. That's what I'm gonna do next. It's the only to, way. Just put yourself yeah. in an isolation chamber. Seriously, throw Bubble out all boy. the VR headsets. Bubble yeah. boy it. Yeah. Or, or saltwater tank, just lie oh, back. Oh, William Hurt. I know, know yeah. somebody's yeah. gonna be doing yeah. that soon in, in my They town. have one of those in my neighborhood. You can go and flute in the saltwater tank. They do too, tank. they have one out uh, in New Jersey. I still gonna put one in my garage. It looks so see, relaxing. See? That's what I need, yeah, the yeah. isolation writing room. And they'll forget you're in there and they'll find you like a month. Oh, sorry, we didn't Like know. dried up because yeah. it's all salt water, right? So all the all the moisture's been leaching. Altered state stein. Altered states. roll up, yeah. Altered states, that was the Movie. Yeah. A good one. Oh my god, that was oh, a classic. I think they should remake that. Was, yeah. That's, that's a good one. Really that should really be a good one for yeah. Netflix series. Yeah.